So I'm going to start out with something probably pretty strange. You're probably not used to a prophetic word, but I, I see uh, there's going to be a handful of people that show up an hour early next week to volunteer for the setup crew. Actually, it might be they just missed spring forward, but let's make them part of the setup crew anyhow. Morning. It is a thrill to be with you here uh, today. I uh, have a message that I'm really, really uh, excited about. I hope uh, by the time you leave, you are too. Uh, more than one of us should have some fun at this. So um, we are uh, talking about, Dave uh, introduces and brought us into a city, uh, series called Upside Down Kingdom. And by the way, if you're, if you're they're not coming up, right? If you're looking for slides, we're going to go old school uh, today. I did my best. I did the slides, and I just about crashed your system. And so um, we're going to go old school. So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to bring it out because it won't come up on the screen. You're welcome to, even though we're doing it old school, to bring it up on your phone. Um, you have an excuse now, so you could be texting friends, and everybody just thinks you're on your Bible. So uh, anyhow, uh, we're in a series on what Jesus probably most looked at sermons ever. He gave it on a mountaintop, and so we got really ingenious and called it the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and he kind of turns religion in its day, and really religion, period, up on, uh, upside down on its head. And the, the whole sermon, um, I have to, I got, grabbed the wrong Bible, so I have to use my reading glasses today. Uh, the, whole, the whole sermon starts out where Jesus says, blessed. These are the people, in other words, he's saying, when you think of God's kingdom, these are the people that, that are blessed. And he just says things you don't expect. He says that the poor are blessed. He says that the meek, you know, people who are kind of soft-spoken are blessed. He doesn't say the righteous are blessed. He says those who wish they were righteous are blessed. It just kind of turns things uh, upside down. And he kind of basically says a regular person um, can inherit the kingdom of God. And you can imagine the crowd is thrilled at this. They're just like, really? So this kingdom thing is for the rest of us, not just our religious leaders. And then, and then Jesus drops a bomb on everyone. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, you don't have to know a lot about the Bible. Just think about this. Basically, Jesus is saying, unless your, uh, the way you follow God, unless your good deeds exceeds that of the pastors and the priests and the religious leaders, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. Ouch. I'm surprised anyone stuck around to hear the rest of the sermon. But they did. And then he goes on to say, now you've heard, and remember the rule, you know, uh, do not murder, and everyone's like, yeah, we, most of us have pretty much kept that one. And he said, well, what I'm telling you is you murder people by your, with your words. He said, you remember the rule, you know, you're not supposed to cheat on your spouse? Oh, yeah, well, most of us have kept that one, kind of. He says, well, you're not even supposed to think about it. And he just kind of obliterates them. First of all, they, they kind of feel a little low with the whole, you know, rights surpassing the religious leaders. And then he says, not just this bar, the bar is really, really high. And so the crowd has to be asking themselves, <laughs> am I going to be allowed to enter into the kingdom of heaven? You also got to understand that, that, that their view is 
that maybe Jesus is this Messiah that their religious leaders have been talking about for so long. Messiah meaning the one that is going to come establish Israel as the premier kingdom, bring priests to Israel, and victory over all of their enemies. That's the kingdom. They think he's talking about this political kingdom. And he says in order to get into this kingdom, whatever that may be, this, here's the standard. You've got to be wondering. One of the questions we ask ourselves today that you hear in the church, if you grew up in the church, it's fundamentally the same question, but it's worded, it's, it, it's the question, am I saved? And it's the same thing. Basically, am I saved from being left out in the cold outside the kingdom of heaven? Am I, am I saved from, from that kind? Am I going to be out in the cold or am I going to be able to enter in? And that is what we're going to talk about today. Now, before I do that, I just I, I want to kind of explain a little bit. I, I, we have to, to develop an a undercurrent here, if you would. See, the, the idea that Jesus gives here says, unless your righteousness, in 520, surpasses that, in the Jewish mindset then, and a lot today, for those who follow uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, righteousness it means, basically means to be right with God. You and God are good. There's nothing in between you. In order to be right with God, you must be free from sin. Remember what we talked about last week. Sin is an archery term. In other words, you, you should not have hit anything outside the middle target. Anything outside of that target is sin. You have to hit it. In, in most, uh, a lot of us probably just watched the Olympics, right? This is really simple. The target is 100. Anything outside of a score of 100 is sin. Now, the Old Testament had a, it had a system for taking care of the fact that nobody got 100. Nobody got 100. And the, and the system was, we had a way of covering over sin through sacrifice. Death had to happen, but if it happened in another animal, then that kind of covered over your sin. And this equation kind of came up that, that even today, uh, the Jews, whenever they get together on the Sabbath, they celebrate, there's this one line that goes over and over and over again. All their celebrations where they thank God for his commandments. Thank you, Lord, for your commandments. Because they are the way to life. They are the way to righteousness. Keeping the commandments. Keeping the rules. So your works equals the law. All 613 laws. Now, they've, they've learned that society and, and age has changed. And so today... They've kind of interpreted those 613 laws, a lot of them, to kind of modern-day society, but it's still the same thing. That's how you attain righteousness. But, but Jesus is doing something here. He's given a principle that he knows they won't understand until they're, until they're at the place to really receive it. Let me give you an example. I do this thing called premarital counseling. Couples come in. They're getting married. They want to do it right. And so they're like, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get, premarital counseling, we're going to get prepared. And I know that with most couples, premarital counseling ain't worth a whole lot. Because everything we talk about is for those folks out there. You don't understand, Pastor. Our love. We don't have any problems. We agree on everything. And when we don't, I like him or I like her so much, I don't mind them having their way. And yet, I, we faithfully go through premarital counseling and talk about principles. Why? Because I know shortly after they're married, first of all, the natural hormones that kick in for 18 months when people meet wear off. 
And second of all, life will happen, and, they, and, and humanity will show itself. And then all of a sudden, they're going to hit reality, and they're going to have to go back and say, wait, 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 wait. I remember somewhere back there, pastor talked to us. He gave us some principles. We went to the and then they and then also it's useful. In essence, this is in, in essence a lot of this sermon. Jesus is doing the same thing. He's giving them stuff they kind of understand, but they don't completely get it, and they won't until he's done with his mission. And his mission is to become their righteousness. His mission is to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. They don't know that yet, but we're in the fortunate position where we do. Later on, Paul would say in, in a, a letter that he writes to the Ephesians, because um, they lived in Ephesus, so they called them Ephesians. He wrote them this letter, and he said this. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Saved means it's by grace that you enter into this kingdom of heaven that Jesus talked about. And he says, it, uh, it, you've been, grace you have been saved through faith. Trusting that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. And this is not from yourselves. He says that it's a gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. No one can show up before God and say, I'm in because I did, and then fill in the blank. No one. Jesus did what we could not do. And we all come in because we believe that he did it and we could not do it. He, in essence, he changes the equation. No longer is your, your salvation, no longer do you enter the kingdom of God by your works. You enter it in by grace that comes through faith, believing that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. In his letter to the Romans, Paul puts it this way. He said, God did this so he could be both just and the justifier just means for every action, there is a reaction. So let's just say, for instance, I'm completely making this up, but this is all ruse. David is at, actually isn't at a conference right now. He's at your home, robbing you blind. Right? He stole your identity, everything. He's gonna, basically, he's going to undermine and ruin your life. Now, let's say David goes before the judge. And he says, I got caught, I'm guilty, right? But here's the deal. You know, I'm a pastor, and they don't pay me a lot, and I had to provide for my family. And the judge goes, oh, I get it. You don't have to pay any of the money back. You're scot-free. Just go free. Now, David's thrilled. How do you feel? Not so good. And yet a lot of times that's the way we want to treat God. Well, God just says, oh, forget it. No, big. No, he didn't say forget it. He is completely just. Everything that you've did, done and will do and thought about doing or things that you thought you should do that you didn't do, there's a penalty for that. And the penalty is death, separation from God. But here's the good news. He's also the justifier. So when you stand before the judge, the judge says, guilty. And Jesus stands up and says, I'll pay the penalty. And he dies in your place and mine. He changed the equation. He changed the equation. We are saved by grace through faith in what he did. So now the question is, how do you know if, if, if that is really the thing, it's not what I do, how do I know that that process has taken place? 
We actually uh, looked at the scripture uh, last week. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5. Otherwise, you're just going to have to trust me. I'm sorry for you. Romans chapter 5 says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. I love that because it's saying this is something that happened in the past. In the past, you understood I, the justice needs to occur. I need to be justified. I can't pay the price, so I have faith in Jesus. At that moment, I was justified. I was made right with God, even though I have a lot of bad days afterwards. Even, even though I might not be where I, I know I should be, in the past, by faith, Christ took care of it. And then he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because of our faith. Through whom we have gained access, access to God, access to the kingdom, by faith and to this grace in which we, he says, now stand, present tense. This is good stuff. This is the good news. Because we made a past decision to put our faith in Jesus. We currently now stand in peace with God, even if you had a fight on the way to church with your spouse. You stand at peace with God. Even if there's something that you know you're still struggling with in your life that if everybody else at the church knew, they probably would reject you. But if you put faith in Christ, you now stand in peace with him, even though that is true also in your life. Not only that, past, present, future, he says. Verse 3, not only so, but he says, I'm sorry, verse, end of verse 2. And he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's the hope that someday... We will be glorified as Jesus was when he rose from the dead. We'll be right with God. We won't struggle with the old flesh anymore. And we will enter the kingdom of God. It's a future hope. And in the Bible, hope is always a sure thing. It's, it's not like I hope I win the lottery. It probably won't happen, but it'd be nice if it did. It's not that kind. Biblical hope is something that you can always take, if you would, to the bank. You could borrow against if you, if you had to because it's going to happen. And then he says, and this is the uh, part we looked at last week, and not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Why does he say this? Because it's human thinking to say, if I'm right with God, then everything's going to go right in my life. That's not true. You have to listen to last week's sermon. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Now, this is the point I want to I get on today right now. And hope does not disappoint us. The hope that God's going to glorify us. Why doesn't it disappoint us? Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It's really, it's really, really simple. When we, by faith, trust that Jesus did for us that we could not do for ourselves, make him Lord of our lives, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He is the seal. He, he's the reason we know our hope won't disappoint us because I have the Holy Spirit. And if God doesn't withhold himself because the Holy Spirit is God, there's nothing to, else to withhold. So if you have the Holy Spirit, it authenticates that you are now saved by grace. And now the works that you do isn't, isn't the, you trying to earn God's favor. The works that you do is actually the fruit that the Holy Spirit is in your life. That's what the Bible says. In Galatians 5, it says the fruit of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's in you, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's, it's, that you, it's that you grow. And notice that it's the list of the internal things that Jesus was talking about, not the external things that religion talks about. In, in, in essence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you, you do good works, but for a completely different reason. Let me explain it this way. 
you watch the Olympics, okay? Okay, if you don't listen to anything else, listen to this illustration, okay? This is a good one. This is the one I, you know, I, I unfortunately can only tell my church once. So every church I go to, I pull it out because it's that good. All right? So we just watched the Olympics. And one of the things that I love watching was the snowboard where they go down and they have to do the twirls. And the, obviously, I don't know much know about snowboarding, but just pretend I do. Now, the goal, the goal obviously, is to get 100. And though at, from time to time they give people 100, it just means that they're 100 for now because 10 years from now they'll be doing things they couldn't do. So it's, it's really not 100, but it's 100 for now. But usually it never happens. But what they do is a bunch of people go, and whoever has the highest score, right, they, do, they, they get smaller and smaller. And then comes the final round where everyone is competing. And what they do is you get three tries to get the best score possible. And occasionally what happened is, the, is in their first run, this happened for a couple of Americans who won goal. They got a phenomenal score, 95 point, 98 point, whatever. They got a phenomenal score, okay? And then everybody else goes. And then the next round, because whoever has the highest score, they go in reverse order. So the, whoever has the highest score goes last. So everyone's trying to beat the highest score. So they go through the second round. No one beats the score. Whew. Then they go through the third round. Everyone's trying to beat, right, the, whatever the highest score is. Right? And they get down to the, to the last few people, and they're like, well, they, all, the worst they can do is bronze now. Right? And, th- and then the next, person, the next person goes, and they don't beat the score. And they say, oh, the worst they can do is silver. Will they win the goal? Right? And then the, and then the second to last person goes, right? And they don't beat the score. And what? It says they've won the gold. Now, there's, something going, there's still something going on here. They get the best out of three tries. They still have one more try even though they already have the gold. And so they go up to the top of the hill. And what do they do? They don't stop. They don't say, well, I got the gold. I'm not going. And they, and they also don't go, you know what? I'm just going to go down the safe way. What do they do? They go for 100 because it doesn't matter anymore. So here's the deal, okay? Some of you who've been in church a long time already got this. Let me catch the rest of everybody up, okay? This is how examples work. Jesus won the goal for us. Jesus got the perfect hundred. Not just, by the way, the perfect hundred for a generation. The perfect hundred for all generations. It can never be beaten. And it is the only thing, by the way, that makes you right with God. The only thing. His perfect hundred. And so when you, when you by faith, put your uh, uh, trust that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, he paid the price. At that moment, you get the perfect hundred. At that moment, you get the gold. You are in. There is nothing you can do. No fall that can happen. No going over the ledge. No injury that can happen that can keep you from getting the gold, getting into the kingdom of heaven. It is a done deal. But here's a mark of somebody that has truly happened to. They don't stand at the top of the hill and go, well, I won the gold. I'm done. They don't do that. And then I'm go, well, you know what, you know, since I am, you know, God did that, maybe I should do something, I'll just kind of ease down the hill. No, there's still work to be done. As a matter of fact, they're freer 
That's the great thing. You've won the goal. They try to do tricks they've been wanting to do the entire time, but they didn't dare do because they might stumble and lose the goal. But now they have the gold, so it doesn't matter. So now they're trying their best to do impossible and insane things. So now works becomes more important, not less, more important. Why? Because the consequences don't matter. But that doesn't mean trying doesn't matter. Are, are you tracking with me? This means yes, this means no. Are you tracking with me? Okay. I'm sorry. That was such a long introduction. I'm sorry, but it's important to understand because when, when, when Jesus is teaching here, is in the scope of the whole, not just in the part. You could get bogged down in the part. So the fundamental question, I want to go back to the fundamental question, am I saved? Am I in the kingdom? And, and actually, Jesus addresses at the very end. At the very end, right, he goes through, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Right, you've been through that. You've been taught that. And then, he, and then he goes through, you know, make sure that as you're working this out, you're not trying to please people. Don't do it in public. Do it for an audience of one. And, and then, he, then he begins to talk about how we treat others, right, in judging, which Dave will, David will teach on later and doing to others you have to do himself. And then, and then this last part of the sermon, what he's going to do is he's going to address, are you trusting this or are you really trusting something else? In other words, are you, are you really have a relationship with me or are you still doing religion? I promise it won't, it, I'm not going to do the rest as long as it took me to get here. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Simply put, what Jesus is going to say here is, I'm pretty exclusive. You know, this whole all roads leads to God. You know what the problem with that idea is? Jesus. Jesus, makes, Jesus is either exclusive or he's a liar, period. His words, not mine. His word says the gate is known. As a matter of fact, later on in John chapter 10, verse 9, he'll say, I am the gate. Jesus is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If it's something that everybody can do, you got the wrong gate. The question I think we ask ourselves is, did our profession of faith in Christ cost us anything? There's a whole bunch of folks out there, including religious folks out there, saying, hey, you know what? Jesus did it all. You can continue your American dream. You can continue your life. You just Jesify it, which means you come on Sunday and you give. You say amen, right? You might change your position on a few social issues. But you pretty much can live the life any way you want. That's the broad road. The interesting thing is Jesus attracted crowds. Read the Bible. Jesus attracted crowds. But you know what? They didn't stick around for long. Because the cost of following Jesus is high. Right? Everyone loves the, in the past I was justified, presently in peace, and in the future I have a hope. Who wouldn't sign up for that? But the next two verses say, and also rejoice in your suffering. I'm out. And that's what Jesus is saying. There's many here that are going to tell you, i got a doable way for this for you. He says, avoid that way. Avoid that way. And then he goes on to say, watch out for false prophets or preachers or teachers or priests or televangelists or whatever. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. 
do not do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. When he says good fruit, think of what he's been talking about. It's an eternal love. It's, an, it's, it's internally. It's not the external. It's not that they're a good preacher or communicator or, or they have three ways to success. It's that internally they love Jesus, and you can see that because they're a person of patience. They're a person of kindness. They're a person of joy. Not just on stage, not just in their books, but in their lives. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not impressed with them. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In short, did your profession of faith in Christ change your life? Not only did it cost you something, did it fundamentally change your life? Are you bearing fruit? Again, the fruit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice Jesus doesn't say, you will know them because they get a high score. They're really religious people. They keep Sharia law. They keep the Old Testament law. They keep the Ten Commandments. They keep the whatever. He doesn't say that. It, it, for him, it's an inward change. It's, it, it's, it's the fact that Jesus rose the bar higher than anyone else. He made all the other rules actually look small because he went internally. And yet people like to hear him. Why? Because there was just an acceptance of his life. There, he, when he looked at you, even though you knew that he believed the standard was high, he looked at you as if, you know what, you're worthy of gold. You're worthy of gold. You're worthy of gold. Here's the good thing. Jesus looked at you not because... He expected you to win the gold because he knew he was going to win gold for you. So he didn't, he didn't have to judge people in that merit. Matter of fact, his response was compassion. And there's a lot of leaders out there that are preaching this and that, and they're preaching to the crowds that love what they're preaching, love what they're teaching, love what they're writing, Christians and non-Christians alike. But if you really look at their lives, they're just as greedy as the next person. Their lives are about themselves. And if you look at the fruit of their ministry, right? You look at the fruit of the ministry, their people aren't more loving. Matter of fact, most of the time, the folks are just hateful. They might use stand behind the Bible, but they're just hateful. The, the, the fruit of someone who's really following Jesus is the people who are following them are growing in compassion, are growing in love, are growing in peace. And by the way, they're growing in such a way that, that if they don't get healed, God is still good. If their bank account doesn't grow, they can still count on him. Why? Because it's an internal, not an external thing. And then he says this, verse 21. Now everyone who says to me, this should shake us to the core, Lord, Lord, they know the right title. So he's not talking about those outside. He's those who are talking about religiously inside will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we just say things that were going to happen and they happened? In your name, didn't we drive out demons to perform many miracles? Wasn't there great signs? Then I will tell them plainly, now this is the key sentence, I never knew you. Away from me, evildoers. He never knew them. That is the fundamental question. Not what did you do, 
Who do you know? Jesus' words, not mine. Who do you know? See, their lives are these false teachers, these who stand before the Lord, and they think, you know what? Hey, God, didn't I have a large crowd? And Christ said, well, let's talk about your heart. They'll say, hey, hey, hey didn't, didn't, didn't I do some good? And he'll say, well, let's talk about what you really cared about. Didn't I say to folks that certain things were wrong? Yeah, but what did you do that was wrong? And he will expose them all the way down the line. So the last is not just did your faith cost you? Did your faith change you? But the last one is what will Jesus say about you? In essence, will he say, I know you. I know you. You're somebody new. See, here's, I got, I got some news for you and me as well. Um, somebody once said there will be three surprises in heaven. The first surprise is the people you thought would be there that aren't. The second surprise is the people you didn't think were going to be there, and they're there. And then the third surprise is that you're there. We measure all the wrong things. There's going to be lots of folks in heaven that struggled in this life, maybe because they had an abusive background, maybe because uh, there, there was generations and generations of addiction, but they hungered and thirst for righteousness. They sought after God. They did their best. They understood, kind of like that parable, you know, David shared with us, right, about there was the, the, the tax collector sinner before God and the Pharisee and the tax collector says, man, I can't even look upon you, God, because I know I need you. And, this, and the Pharisee, the religious leader is like, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. And God said, are you kidding me? No one can come before me with a clean conscience. If you think that, then you're, you, you've got something else going on. You're not really in tune. I actually thirst for the person who understands I'm broken. I hunger for the person who understands I need you, God. I know those people because they seek after me and they love me and they do their best. And when they fail, they, they roll and they tumble and they get up and they go, whoo! It's good thing I already won the goal through Jesus. That's, those are the people that enter in the kingdom of heaven. So what is the fruit of salvation in your life and mine? What, what, how do we know that, man, I'm, I made this step, and, and I'm entering into the kingdom of heaven. I am saved. I'm going to be one of those few. First of all, are you laying down your life for the kingdom? Not are you going to church. Not are you reading your Bible. Not are you giving to the church. Not if, fill any religious blank you want. But fundamentally, the, if you think about a throne, who's on the throne of your life? Did it cost you anything? Is Jesus on the throne? Now, by the way, it's completely legitimate to put Jesus there and then every once in a while knock him off and then wake up and go, sorry, Jesus, go back. I know you need to be there because that's life for all of us. But fundamentally, do you understand that, that by saying Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself, that also makes him Lord. He deserves to be on the throne of your life. You should not be in control. He should be in control. Not to bless your plans, but for you to do his plans. Secondly, are you growing in love from the inside out? Because Christ changes the interior life. He changes the in, interior life. It's the, it's the bearing good fruit. And it's, it's progress, not perfection. And the people around you might say, hey, you're not where you should be, but man, I know, by God's grace, you're not where you used to be. And lastly, do you know 
Jesus. Because if you know him, if you have a relationship with him, not a religion, if you have a relationship with him, then you can stand before him in confidence. Not because you got the perfect hundred, but because you're now a favored child of the one who did. You're a favored son. You're a favored daughter. So, we're all standing on the top of the hill of life. Some of us have already had some trips and stumbles and what. The only question is, are you going down still trying to earn your way? Or can you still try? Can you, can you even try maybe even harder than you would have otherwise? Because you've already won the goal through Jesus Christ. That is the question. Let's think about that.